Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected to all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because change lives, change lives. Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. Um, I'm Andy Mon, one of the pastors here at the Valley, and I just cannot wait to get in to this sermon series, because you know what? God wants us to build a foundation so that we can have real joy in our lives, and the family is the foundation of how he designed this whole place to work, this place we call the earth that we're living in. And so, so excited about that. Well, we, we are doing this series called Family Foundations, and my dad was a brick mason, and uh, so we knew all about foundations. And we, we discovered that if the foundation wasn't right, doesn't matter what you did, you couldn't make it work. And if you don't have the foundation of family right, it's not going to work for you. Uh, you know, something happened last night, I, about 10 o'clock or so, I got a knock on the, on the door, it was a sheriff. And that's never, you know, not usually a good thing. And, uh, and he said, hey, the people next door asked me, they, they, they know you're a, you're a minister. They know you go to that church, and they'd like you to come on over. And uh, their son just died. And uh, so went over. And uh, so there, um, he's 46 and had passed away. And uh, so I'm sitting there with him. And, and it just struck me that the whole reason I was there, because this young man knew there was a minister next door, knew there was somebody from the church next door. And by the way, we had gotten the chance to meet each other. He actually watched the services here on Facebook because he was moving toward God. And he, he wanted to know what this was all about. In fact, he came to the place and, uh, where he hadn't come actually on campus, but he had joined us online. He actually asked for one of those um, yard signs that we had when we were doing coronavirus uh, uh, about being loved here, whatever it was. And he wanted one of those signs for his yard. He felt like he was a part of it. It really struck me today that you and I are ministers of the gospel. Not just me as the pastor, you. And right where you live, right where you work, where you play, where you go to school, that, that person that sits in the chair next to you, they, they're watching you. And, and when when everything falls apart, they need you. They need you before that. They need God, but they're going to see it through you. And it's, it struck me how important it is that you and I take up our role as followers of Christ to be ambassadors for the King, wherever we're at. And so I'm going to challenge you. There are some families falling apart right now. There are some people who are struggling. The foundations are messed up, and they need hope. And you know what? They're looking at you, the minister of the gospel, the people next door. And I just want to challenge you with that. God has challenged me that people are always watching. And when everything goes wrong, they're looking for the people who know Jesus. They're looking for the people who know God that is the only one that can help them in moments like that. And so this, this sermon series on foundations, family foundations, is just so important. And so today, I'm going to be doing a risk assessment on marriage. You guys go with that? You know what a risk assessment is? When, when, I was, uh, when I was in the military, we did risk assessments for our training exercises. And the idea was when you 
when you did a training exercise in peacetime, you didn't want to kill people and you didn't want to hurt equipment. And, uh, and so we do this assessment. Hey, if, if we do this training exercise, are we going to like, are we really going to hurt somebody for a long period of time? Like, are they going to have a permanent injury or, or could this lead to death? That was one of the, and if it did, we had to adjust the training exercise. There was always a risk somebody was going to get hurt. So, I mean, you had to accept some level of risk, but that was too much risk. We'd do same thing with equipment. Like, the, the military, like, court-martial you if you damaged equipment. So you, you were supposed to, like, do this risk assessment and say, hey, if this training exercise in peacetime is going to ruin this piece of equipment, it's going to damage it so that we can't use it anymore, it's going to be catastrophic, change the plan. And, uh, but if it's just going to be normal wear and tear, we can accept some fender dinners, you know, that vendors, that kind of thing. We can't train. So there was, that, there was always an assessment that we, we made. I remember when somebody didn't make the proper risk assessment. <laughs> we were in Grayling, Michigan. I was a PFC. That means peon. And uh, I was, I, <laughs> and I, I was, I was there in Grayling, Michigan. We were 4:30 in the morning, and there was the worst thunderstorm I'd ever been part of. I, we were at ground zero. Lightning strikes all over. I mean, this was. It sounded like artillery going off. And they're 20 feet in front of me. They decided they did the risk assessment, and they decided, you know what, we're going to do this anyway. And we, we had four guys stand next to a tree, next to a water buffalo. It was just a water container, and, and it, it, four of them went down. One of them stopped breathing on the way to the medevac, and uh, it just, I was 20 feet away from that. That was an improper risk assessment because you, you have to accept some level of risk, but it was just too high a level of risk for the peacetime. In wartime, that's a different steel deal. And so you and I have to make assessments. And here's the deal. People have been making assessments in our culture about marriage. Did you know that? And they decided the risk is just too great. And so today we're going to do a risk assessment based on God's word. Is marriage a good thing? Is it worth the risk? I would say today more and more people have said no. They've said it's risky. Socrates once said this. He says, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> and I don't know how many philosophers we have in here, but <laughs> let's, let's see what we can do about that. So most of you have heard that, that uh, the divorce rate for for people who get married, it's about 50%, and that is true. About 50% of marriages do end in divorce. Maybe you've looked around and you see marriages and you say, well, they're unhappy. I don't want that. And maybe that's been part of your risk assessment. And so what I've discovered, and maybe you've discovered, that in culture, people have just decided if it's, if it's at a high risk, from what I can see and hear, I ought to just not do it. So they've opted out. They've decided other plans. In fact, some are just not getting married at all. In 1960, 75% of U.S. adults were married. Today, it's only 50%. So, so it's dropped dramatically the number of people. They've done the risk assessment, at least on their basis, and said, no, we're not going to do it. Many have just decided, I still want the relationship, but I'm not going to do it in marriage. So I'm just going to skip that, and we're going to live together. Today, about 25% of all women will be in a, in a live-in relationship with a, with a significant other. And over their lifetime, 50% will live together with someone outside the bounds of marriage. But here's the question today. Is marriage really that risky? Can you do marriage in a way that it takes the risk out of marriage? 
Did you know that more people uh, are likely to divorce that live together first? Did you know if you live together, you're more likely to divorce? If you, the sooner you have sexual relationships in the, in, when, when you, with a significant other, the sooner you have that, that, that sexual relationship, it means it's more likely that you will, uh, you will break up with that person. You see, there's some, there's some risks in, in another way. Now, here's the deal. 50% of people do get divorced, but do you know that number goes way, way down if you're past 18 and you have a high school diploma? You, you see, there are some factors there that when you take those out, it is much less of a risk. Do you know that couples that are married across the board report that they are happier than those who are unmarried, particularly those who are living together. Over the last 40 years, 62% of people would rate their marriage, who were married, would rate it as very, they were very happy. 62%. And yet we probably focus on the ones that say they aren't. And do you know that two-thirds of all people who are unhappy at one particular point in their marriage, if they stay together five years, will report that they are happy in the long term. There, there is lots and lots of data that tells us married people have a far higher level of physical health, mental health, emotional health, and, and a higher standard of living. And get this, kids who grow up in a, married, in, 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 in a family that have a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife as part of that marriage relationship that's strong, have outcomes that are 200 to 300% better than kids, children who are not. You see, God designed marriage for a purpose. And today we're going to take a look at that purpose. And if we'll live it according to his plan and according to his purpose, I want you to know it will take the risk out of marriage. And if you can get it, it's the best thing for you. So now, as we launch into this, I I know there's some people here who are single. And uh, you say, man, another sermon on marriage. This doesn't apply to me. I really want to encourage you to don't focus on you on this one because you know what? You have some friends who need you. You you really do. You have some friends who need you that when you're walking alongside of them at the right moment, you're going to have a chance to share what God's plan is. You're going to have a chance to encourage them to, to make the right decisions. And so don't check out because this is for you. Did you know most people are going to be married in a lifetime? It's not everybody. Some are called to singleness. And if you are, that, then, then, then allow God to use you in someone else's life. But most of you are going to be called to be married. And you know what? If you know what God's plan is for marriage, before you get in, you're a whole lot better off because then you can steer where you go. So how do we take the risk out of marriage? How do we take the risk out of marriage? You've got to marry for the right reason. You've got to marry for the right reason. And we find the primary purpose for marriage in, in the book of Genesis. It says it's not good for man to be alone. And and Paul, by the way, shares this in Ephesus as well. But it says in Ephesians, as he digs back into Genesis, he says, for this reason, because it's not good for man to be alone, because God designed us to be together. And and many of us in marriage, it says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Dramatic mystery. And it points back to verse 28. It says, why do we get married? Well, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. See, God's purpose 
for marriage is to create a framework for lifelong love between a man and a woman. You, you ever gone tent camping? I hope never to go again, but I have done this before. And what you, <laughs> I'm, I'm into the RV. I think that'd be fun. Okay, so you put these tent poles together, right? You get these aluminum poles, and you, and you crank them, and I, it's like a Rubik's Cube, some of this stuff. But you put it all together, and you, and you create this frame, and then you stretch the canvas out over the aluminum poles. And then you got a tent. Marriage is the framework that we stretch a man and a woman over to create uh, uh, the ability for them to have lifelong love. Marriage is the, a tool that God has given us, a, a covenant much greater than a tool. And, and the purpose is to create that framework so you and I can experience love. Does that mean you have to be married to experience love? No. You can experience love. But God's, one of his greatest gifts is marriage because he, he gives it as the ability for us to experience love. Now, there are four essentials in any marriage. One is exclusivity. It's a man and a woman for life. That it's an exclusive relationship between those two until one dies. It, it's a call to uniqueness. In other words, you're to come out from your family of origin and create a unique relationship with them and, and to be it's, it's not that you push away your family, your, your, your father and mother or, or, or your immediate family, but you create your own relationship. You create your own unique family that, that, that is part of a bigger set of families. That, that's part of God's plan where to come out from. It's a call to permanence. Permanence just means that God has a, a plan that we hold to. It says we are united to one another. And it says, Jesus says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And so it means holding fast to each other, a, a fidelity over time until, until death comes in. And it also talks about extraordinary care. We see this in Genesis and we see this in Ephesians. And boy, if you want to read a great passage about marriage, read, read in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. That's extraordinary care. You're to love your, your spouse as you would yourself. That's a big deal. That, that's a tall order because you like want it good, don't you? <laughs> you want to be loved like high end, right? That's what you're to give to your spouse. So marriage is really about subordinating ourselves to us. And, and, and culture today... People today say, you know, marriage is about self-fulfillment. Like, I should get good sex, like, like whenever I want it. We, I should be fulfilled by my partner. They, they should complete me. They should fill my cup. They, like, they should understand me <laughs> and all those things, which are good things, by the way. None of those are bad things. They're not the highest purpose. Those things should happen in a healthy marriage, but that's not the big thing. You see, Marriage is not about what I can get out of it. It's about what we can get out of it. It's about subordinating what I want to us. And when we don't, we allow a lot of risk into the marriage. And so somewhere along the way, we've decided it's really about fulfillment. It's about completeness. And God said, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's a framework for a, a lifelong love relationship that will allow you to endure the highs and the lows and build something that you can't build any other way. 
But when we, when we don't understand that, we allow frustration into the marriage. In fact, James, I think, does a great job of explaining that. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. High risk for a marriage when you set an expectation and you want from your spouse what they were never designed to give. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And God says, I want you to subordinate yourself to the other. That's really what marriage is about. Stanley Hauerwas is a, is a theologian, and he said, marriages are destroyed when it becomes about our fulfillment. And we, we talked about that for a minute. He says, he says, that's high risk. He says, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we marry f- at first, marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will change. <laughs> because marriage being the enormous thing it is means we are not the same person when we've entered into it. In other words, you're to grow. And as you enter into the marriage relationship, God's going to develop you, and you're going to be growing closer to Christ, and you sh- your needs are going to be different in the future than they are right now. You're not going to be the same person. And so the person you married isn't going to be the person you married later. They're going to be different, hopefully for the better, but it's going to be different, and their needs are going to be different. You're going to say, well, that, I didn't sign up for that. Yes, you did. You see, that framework for lifelong love means you grow with your spouse. And it says, many people put incredible pressure on their spouse to be what they were never meant to be. They're looking for the perfect person, the person who never has issues, but will gladly deal with my issues. <laughs> That's who we're looking for. And that kind of attitude puts tremendous pressure on the marriage relationship. It's taken Paul and I a while to learn that. You know, we had some expectations. We thought that the other would help us in a certain area or, or understand what we were trying to think or do, or, or when we had an issue, we wanted them to show grace, but when, <laughs> when they had an issue, we didn't want to show as much grace. You know, those are the things that the, the, that, that's the real where the rubber meets the road in, in marriage. And we had to learn that our greatest needs weren't always going to be met by the other person in the marriage relationship, and everything we wanted we thought we should get wasn't going to come out of the marriage relationship because it was never designed to give it. And you talk about frustration in marriage. Try to get something you can't get. It causes frustration all the way around. It makes it high risk. So you and I are to enter marriage understanding that it gives us a framework that allows us to learn to love our spouse And in doing that, and this is the great mystery in all God's Word, I think one of the greatest mysteries, we learn to love ourselves. See, it's in loving our spouse, instead of focusing on our needs, but in learning to love them, that we get what we need. That that is so countercultural. That is so upside down, is it not? Like, shouldn't I focus on what I need? No, focus on us. Focus on meeting their need. Focus on on understanding them, learn to love them, understand who they are, and then you'll somehow be loving yourself. It's a great mystery of marriage. And so, if you want to go high risk, focus on you, being fulfilled, finding the perfect mate. But if you, if you want to do it God's way, enter into a covenant relationship that God has designed 
and it allows you to love another person and subordinate yourself to the other. <laughs> not to the other, to, to the us, to together. It's, it's not subordinating yourself to the other. It is subordinating yourself to the combined marriage. And watch it flourish and watch that every need that you have gets met. Take the risk out of marriage. Make your spouse the one. Here's how you take the risk out of ma- marriage. Make your spouse the one. Like the one who feels most valued in your life. There, there's, a, there's a book called The Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Maybe you've heard of it. Solomon wrote it. Uh, it goes by different couple names. But it's, a, it's, a, it's really a, a poetic love story between Solomon and his wife. And but it starts like this. You, you watch the love relationship develop, and it gives us a great clue when you're married to how to develop that same relationship, that same love relationship. And it starts out like this. This is the man. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. So romantic. <laughs> Men, Mother's Day is coming up, and I'm going to highly encourage you to use that line on the card. To put a mare among stallions would be the ultimate distraction, right? That's a female horse with all these stallions running around. And in those days, the pharaoh would, would have a white horse. And this white horse, this white mare was like the prized possession, his prized horse. So what he's really saying is you're my most prized possession. You're the one that stands out among all else. See, when you get married, your spouse... What, whoever you've chosen is the right one. You, you no longer have to decide that anymore. Did you get that? You don't have to make the, you don't have to have the discussion. Did I marry the right person? You married the right person. Once you've chosen that person, once you enter into the marriage covenant, they are the right person. That, that discussion is now off the table. The only discussion is how do we build the marriage relationship the way God wants us to. And so they're having a picnic together and he says that, and then she says this. She says, my lover is to me a satchel of myrrh resting between my breasts. In those days, you couldn't shower every day. Can you imagine? <laughs> and the heat, not good. And so they would wear these little satchets with perfume. And for a woman not to be able to shower up, that, that's probably a really good thing, right? It would be good for all of us probably. And it was right next to their heart. It was one of their most prized possessions that you can imagine. She's saying, you're my most prized possession. You're my most valuable person. See, in marriage, if they don't know they're the one, if you don't make them the one, and you can elevate their status in your life by choosing them, if you don't make them the one, you put your marriage at risk. Men, what women want to know is, are they first? Are they first in your life? Is there anything else ahead of me? Men, we have an opportunity to choose our spouse in everyday actions, in everyday attitudes. It's up to us to make them the one. The standard of beauty, the standard of character, and tell them they're the most valuable person. Women, men need the same thing, except they spell it respect. It's different for them. You see, men need to know that they're, they're valued. They need to know that the choices they make are something you respect. 
they need to know that you like them and that you trust their heart. They, they want to know that you trust their heart. You want to wound a guy, you want to wound a man in the marriage, just tell them that they're being selfish about the decisions that they're making. Now, here's the deal. Probably some of them are. I get that. You're going to have to show us grace on that one. But a lot of the hard choices we make are like, you got two ethical dilemmas here, and they're, they're not easy choices. And, and, and you got to choose what, how you're going to handle some of the things in the family and spending and, and time and energy, and, and they're not easy. And to be told that you're selfish or not respected for some of the choices, those are not liked for who you are because that's how God made him. And I'm not talking about bad character. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about personality. I'm talking about who, they, who God made them to be. There was a, there was a couple, true story. Um, they were the Brady Bunch, essentially. <laughs> and the, the, he had kids, she had kids. And they were going to go somewhere. I just got remarried, both, uh, I don't know if divorced or what it was, but they, it, this is a remarriage. And so he's sitting in the front seat. They're gathering in. The, the, the wife gets in the car. And there's the little girl, and she's throwing a fit because the new stepmom's sitting in where she's been riding for a little while. And the husband looks at the, his new wife, and he says, you know, she's had a really difficult time adjusting to this whole stepmom thing. It's been terribly difficult for her. Would you mind this time just sit in the back while, and while she works through this? The wife said she got in the back seat, but it was a, yeah, it was a metaphor for how the rest of the marriage went. She was always riding in the back seat. You see, if you want to make marriage high risk, just put your spouse in the back seat. Choose your career over them. Choose your workplace. Choose your friends. Choose your hobby. Whatever it is, put that more important than your spouse. And, and watch how high risk your relationship becomes. Listen to the words that both of these share to each other after they've told each other how valuable they are and backed it up in real life. She says, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. And, and Solomon says, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. You know what they're saying? Roses and lilies like were not real common in the Mideast. You couldn't find them. And they say, I feel like you found the one, and I'm it. And you want to make marriage low risk. That's how you do it. You're the one in all the universe. Everybody else is a weed compared to you. Make them the one. Through the thick and thin, no matter how long it is, allow the framework of love, the framework of marriage, to allow you to put them one over that period of time, and you will receive what you need in that relationship. Want to take the risk out of marriage? Marry a follower of Jesus. Marry a follower of Jesus. You know, I looked all through scriptures like, what's the list of qualifications for who we should choose to marry? It doesn't say, but it does. There's one command. You know how there's the, there, there's the command in Matthew where it says, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, you can boil everything else down, and that's it. You want to boil everything else down about who you should marry? It's right here. 
Paul says, a woman is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. He goes on to say, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Fascinating. They would plow with oxen, right? And they would have two oxen. They would have this wooden yoke over the top of them. So everybody would have got this picture. And just imagine you got one oxen like big up here and you got the little guy right next to you, right? They're not. What happens when they walk? They're doing this. Anybody doing that in your marriage relationship? Because one's walking with the Lord and one's not. It's just going to end up in frustration. You're going to go in circles, and it's going to be a disaster. You see, when, when you say yes to Jesus, and when you pick a spouse that says yes to Jesus, you're giving yourself the greatest advantage. You know why? Because you're going to mess up, and so is your spouse. And you're going to need God's grace to forgive someone, the spouse. And they're going to need God's grace to forgive you. And you're going to need his power to strengthen you and to protect you and to give you what you need for the other spouse, to understand who they are and what their great needs are. That, that's what God wants to do. But unless you're connected, you're going to miss all that. And when you go it alone, that's beyond high risk. That is beyond high risk. I, I think this illustration is the best understanding of how this whole thing works. You see, your marriage is like a triangle. It really is. You're down here, and God's up here. And the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. It isn't just a picture. It's how it really works. See, as you get closer to God, he melds you together. He helps you understand each other. He gives you the grace to make you new. And that's what God wants to do in your marriage relationship. You know what I've discovered? There are a lot of people who walked with God. They've chosen to marry a spouse maybe through divorce or something happens through no fault of their own, or maybe there's, they've become a widower. I found how many dive into a relationship and they're so hungry for companionship they forget all about God's command. And then they, maybe it turns physical. And when sex enters the picture, all bets are off, right? Because once, the, once that physical connection's there, once that bond is there, there there's something to that, that God has created that binds you together, then you break it. You're going you're gonna to break yourself. It's already too late. And so they end up married, and they pay the severe consequences later when they discover they don't have God in their midst, <laughs> strengthening them and helping them and bringing the joy that ought to be there. Our satisfaction, our dissatisfaction in marriage has more to do with God in the midst of it then you and I are get, getting what we need or being complete. And so you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Maybe you're unmarried today and you're saying, okay, I'm going to start the dating scene. Like, like, what do I pick? And, you know, everybody says, go, go write this long list of, of, of attributes or characteristics I'd like to find. I don't think that's a bad exercise. Put this one at the top. Because if you get this, you get whatever else the Bible says. You get people of character. You get people who are forgiving. If you want that in a spouse, God says, pick this, choose this, and everything else will happen. And yet we forget that, and the culture's forgotten that, and people have forgotten that, and they say, why is everybody unhappy? Why are all these marriages breaking up? I've never seen a marriage fall apart 
where both people were completely following Jesus, like, like they were sold in. I've never seen it. I, I, it. Does it exist? I don't know. But I do know that you cannot go wrong when God is helping you. He will not let it break if you're fully trusting in him. But see, it all comes back to your purpose. Why'd you get married? Is it for you? Well, if they hurt you, then it's, they, they're not taking care of me, so I'm going to ditch it. No, if you've bought into the covenant relationship that God has pulled you into, that he, he has helped you form, then you realize it's about us. It's never just about me. And when you make that decision, then you walk through those times where you feel hurt, where maybe the other person isn't their best, where they do have issues, and you land on the other side. And I'll remember that rule in five years. And it might not take five, but in five years, married couples who wanted to call it quits, if they followed the Lord and were working it, were very happy. You aren't going to be happy every minute of your marriage. But over the long haul, over the whole body of work, as they like to call it, you're going to be happier than everybody else because that's how God designed the world to work. So marriage is the means to become the right person and help our spouse be their best rather than the result of finding somebody perfect because you're going to be looking a long time and you won't find them. <laughs> so how do we apply all this? Like where the rubber meets the road, what do we do with, with what we just heard? Well, I think the first thing is this, we got to become the right person. You and I have to become the right person. So if you're dating today, make the list if you want to make a list of who you're looking for and what you'd like. But don't make it perfect because you, you aren't going to find it. Get, get some of those things. But the top of the list, they must be a follower of Jesus Christ. And become the right person. Become the great catch if you're dating Focus on who you are and becoming more like Jesus and trust that he's going to bring the right person at the right time as you pray for that person. If you're already married, become the right person in the marriage relationship. Like you got a lot of growing to do. I know I do, and you do too. And, and there's a lot of selfishness that can creep into our lives, and we can say, you know what? I'm not being fulfilled. I'm not getting this. They're not doing this. They don't understand me. Come on. They ought to be... They, and God says, become the right person. You know what I've discovered? People want to reciprocate love. And so when you make them the one, when you choose to love them in spite of what they've done or in spite of what they're not doing, they will, they will experience that love. And guess what? God's going to pour love into you through them as you do that. It's one of the great mysteries it's one of the great mysteries of life. So stop looking for the perfect mate and look for a mate who follows Jesus. You have to accept also that the marriage is hard work, but the rewards are great. M marriage isn't easy. It, 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 it's not just light and breezy, right? There are times, and, and I don't want to paint marriage as, as, as terribly difficult because I think there's a lot of light and breezy moments. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of joy. But if you never think there's going to be a hard moment, if you never think somebody's not going to understand you or you're having difficulty understanding their love or, or you just feel, yeah, like, like they're not producing, <laughs> they're not giving you, they're not fulfilling you. If you don't ever think there will be a moment like that, you're wrong. And then you're going to come against that hard patch and say, well, I guess this is it. This must be the, the, the this is where I take the off ramp, right? But I want you to know that if you will live out the covenant relationship, that framework for marriage, you're going to feel joy long-term and you're going to experience the love God has 
for you. I don't know if I can find it. Okay, I can't. One of the, I, I want to leave you with this thought. I, I think it's the, the great mystery about marriage and all God's word that when you learn to love your spouse and love them the way you want to be loved, that you are ultimately also learning to love yourself. That's big. And the only way you'll experience the greatest love that God has for you in the marriage relationship, and some are called to be single, and I get that, but, but if you're called to be married, the only way you're going to experience the love that you desire, that you seek in the marriage relationship, is by learning to love your spouse, by focusing and subordinating yourself to us rather than me. It'll change everything. And if you do a risk assessment based on God's plan for marriage, you're going to find it's really low risk. But if you do it the world's way, don't do it. It's going to be messed up. You're going to come out broken, hurt, destroyed. Because that's what happens when you don't do it God's way. And so you're here and you're single today and you say, Pastor Andy, like, like, I don't think I'm called to be married. Great. It's okay to stay single. It's okay. And you say, but, but will I experience the kind of love they do in marriage differently? But God will never leave you stranded. So, so, so it's okay. He will provide for you. But understand these principles and then begin to come alongside your married friends because they need you. And if you're not married, man, would you choose the one who knows Jesus? And then look for all the other stuff in their life that says it's really true. Like they don't just talk a good game, but, they, but this is, I can see the character. I can see who they are from their actions. Look for that. that that's important. And if you're already married, make them the one. Forgive and release Stay in the covenant of marriage because I'm just telling you, you will not be happy where you think the grass is greener or where the off-ramp lies. And your children will suffer. They will not have the ability to thrive. And you say today, Pastor Andy, you're, you're like hitting me hard because I've, I've been divorced. Like, like I, it didn't work out the first time. And yes, some of it was my fault. And God's grace, like, He's going to take you right where you're at, and he's going to move you forward. Because never in any marriage has, has everyone done it all right. And yet it's by God's grace that that marriage continues. It's by God's grace, if your marriage didn't continue, that he will put you in a new place. And he will allow you to move on from there. And he will work to redeem what, what has been thrown away. But I can't get away from his inescapable answer for what marriage is to look like, and the reality is that most of us are going to be in that marriage. You know, one last story. There was a, there was a this has been about, a, I think, about a hundred years ago or so, and there was this lady who, who wanted to get married, and so she asked her friend if she should get married, and the, and the friend said, no, that would be selfish. You should just stay celibate and, and live with your father until he dies, take care of him, and, and then just remain celibate throughout the years. 
And so she wrote this spiritual advisor and said, that, you know, I really I feel this desire inside to get married, but my friend says I shouldn't and explained this whole thing. And it's fascinating what he wrote her. He wrote her back and said that the state of marriage is one that requires more virtue and constancy than any other. It's a continual exercise in mortification, which just means self-denial. It means subordinating ourselves to us. <laughs> he essentially said the work of marriage will make you holy. See, marriage far from being a compromise and an easy way out is a, is a place God uses, a space God uses to teach us how to become like him. Because what did he do? He set himself aside to love us. That's why we celebrated communion. We celebrated his love for us. He set himself aside for us. Marriage is the same thing. He wants you to be just like him, holy, set apart. Don't be like the world. Like set yourself aside for us. You see, every day you have to decide, how am I going to love my spouse and not me? How am I going to love us and not me? So maybe, maybe something you want to do if you're married is begin to say, I love us. What would make us good? Because if you make us good, guess what? Your spouse is going to feel it. It's going to be good. And when you do that, you're going to build a foundation for the society at large, because <laughs> that's, that's what they need is to see love in two people over time, even when it gets hard. And what children need is a stable environment where their mom and dad love each other and, and they can thrive in that. See, that's the very foundations for, for the church and for the world and for your family and for people, whether they're single, whether they're married. They need you married couples to love each other over the long haul. Because did you know that marriage is an illustration of God's love for his church, God's love for his people? And every time you do marriage right, every time you do marriage, even though it's hard, and you keep the covenant and you allow the framework to work, you're pointing to Jesus. You're pointing people to a God who loves his people. That's a holy work. So let God use you. Be thankful maybe in some sense it's not easy because God is making you more like him. And he's using your marriage. And yes, he's going to bring you joy. He's going to fulfill you. Those are the byproducts, not the main purpose. The main purpose is to glorify him and to bring love to this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of marriage for this world. Thank you, Father, for those of us who are married, how you have intervened and you've You've forgiven us. You've given us the grace to, to help our, sp our spouse. You've given us the grace to be forgiven that we might become better, that we might live out the loving commitment that you've led us to make and that you supplied all of our needs in this marriage relationship. Thank you that when we do it your way, there's no risk at all, that our love is secure and it's never going to be crushed. Thank you. Father, I just pray for the world. I pray, Father, for those who have never experienced that but desire to experience that. Father, would you bring the right spouse to them? Would you help them never to compromise that you are to be the center of that marriage relationship? Father, would you help them to overcome this desire, such a desire to have that, that, that relationship, that companionship, 
that they wouldn't compromise what you want for them. Father, I pray for those who are single. I pray, Father, you'll bless them, that you'll provide those meaningful relationships and friendships, that, that you'll provide even some of those relationships with married couples as they, as they get to experience uh, your plan in these married couples. But Lord, would you call those single people alongside of people who are married and encourage them and to love them and to, and to help them to go the distance? Because, Father, that's your plan. And we just thank you. We thank you for the gift that you've given us and the love you've given us in, this, in, in our marriage relationships. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Go out and be ministers in the gospel in your marriage because they're closest to you. And remember, the people next door, they need, they need God in their neighborhood and they're looking to you. God bless you. Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your spiritual journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message.